and welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And uh, we're going to be talking about Einhander for the PlayStation. This was something that was brought up mm. on our patron list as just a, a general re recommendation, but actually uh, this is one Jeremy Gregory also asked about. So we're going to cover this. It's been, a, it's been a game I know I played when it was new and, and been looking to go back to it for 20 years plus, so I'm glad we're visiting it. But before we talk about Einhander, Billy, what have you been playing since our last show? What have I been playing? Um, I, I actually was able to stop jumping around games for a while, and I, I was able to sit down and kind of focus on at least a couple of games. Uh, I, I I got into that that woe long Fallen Dynasty, uh, I, and I think it's because uh, around the house uh, my partner is playing a lot of Elden Ring, so I I was I was getting just just that soul's itch. I wanted to play something that was was frustrating and and had kind of that system of you know resting and everything comes back to life and and putting in skill points and really having to fucking look at skill trees and things like that. I, I got the itch for that something awful. Uh, started playing it, did not like it one bit. Uh, I, I will say that everyone who did not like it and only played up to the first boss which so far is the most difficult boss of the game and i'm over halfway through now just power through it uh, it's it's an awful case of a boss throwing a game rather throwing a boss at you that you honestly unless you have just spent forever grinding some boring ass that boring ass tutorial level you're not equipped to fight and it's gonna be a struggle it's mm, it doesn't even feel like a fair one, but you know, I got through it. Uh, once I got through it, it's one of those, you now I guess that wasn't so bad uh, things. And the rest of the game's gone on to be very enjoyable. My early review of it was it just makes me want to play Sekiro. Um, but I, I, I'm out of that, and I still do. Damn it. I still do, except I know that last boss is waiting for me. Um, you know, ready to whip my ass like he has since that game released. But years of whipping my ass now. But uh, I've been playing a lot of that one. I, you know, just have been toiling on a game uh, called Haven. It's on, I think it's actually, they put it out on the uh, the PS Plus or the PS Now, whatever the hell it is now, it's integrated. I think it's on there now. Uh, it, it's just kind of a more relaxing, I, I'm just a little bit in, but just it looks sort of like an exploration kind of collecting game. It's pretty laid back. Uh, it's It's a good one to counter. That woe long once I'm I'm fucking furious and I'm ready to ready to quit. I need something just to cool me down a little bit. But I've been been uh, rotating pretty heavy on those two. I downloaded Woe Long uh, and have not mm. started yet because mm -hmm. everyone kind of had the same comments that you did, which was like, "Hey, this is this this first boss is really hard and it makes me think of like a I don't say sloppy, but not as good of a of a Sekiro." And so I was like, "Well, I'll get to it eventually." I I didn't not play it because of that, but I didn't rush to yeah. play it because of it. I have it downloaded uh, on the on the Xbox, so I will eventually play it. Um, but I, I, I I will say this: it, it is Sekiro with very loose controls. Well, that, um, when I saw it was Team Ninja, that was my memory of Ninja Gaiden Black. Like yes. I liked it, but I thought yes. it was definitely a lot sloppier. Not sloppier. A lot more of a fast arcade slasher than than something yeah. like a, yeah. a Dark Souls kind of, of game. But I will give it a shot. But the other thing I've downloaded, well, I, I'm i not good at focusing, so I've downloaded a bunch of things here and there. I, I grabbed mm -hmm. Wargroove on sale for the, the Switch. It's kind of a Advance mm -hmm. Wars style technical 
uh, strategy game. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing that. Haven't started yet, uh, but I got it because it was on sale. But what I have been playing a lot of is, I guess, last week on on uh, the Game Pass, they put out Valheim for the Xbox. It is yeah. kind of a survival Viking sort of game. It's almost like Minecraft for nerds, uh, <laughs> like b- bigger RPG. Are nerds. you enjoying it? I am, but I'm playing with. Okay. So my brother and his friends, we have a regular like. I'll just say it's D&D. It's not D&D, but let's say it's a regular D&D night mm-hmm. um, that we play online because everyone's across the country now. And those same people have been playing on the off weeks. They're playing Valheim on PC. Well, my PC is just strong enough to record this podcast. It does nothing else. It's literally useless for everything but recording and editing this podcast. So I can't play any kind of 3D game on it. But mm-hmm. um, I actually I was able to play Silent Hill 4 and it almost killed it, right? So that I need a new computer <laughs> at some point. But once it was out on Game Pass and it does have cross-play, I joined them. So they're they're... Not super far along because they're casually playing it, but basically, you know, I didn't start fresh with nothing. I then went back because your character transfers between servers. Like, it's not like you have a character and that's good for this Mm. one server. Your character will go wherever you go. Whatever your inventory is will transfer with you. But if you've built, like, a house and put a bunch of stuff in storage on one server, it stays on the server, right? But but you can go to any server and play with anybody because the progression of the game is based on the server, not your character. You don't have character levels. Um, you have skill levels, but you don't have character levels. So you, you're always, you know, if you came into a game brand new or if you came into a game, you know, that's at the very end, the only difference really is equipment and your skill level. So I've been playing with them and I really enjoyed playing with them because they're far enough along that they've already built up a little settlement. It, it's, you know, it's it's not like Minecraft in the in that simple building way, but it's you have to build up your settlement from nothing. You'll find... Um, ruins you can use, you can find other like flat areas that are near water, makes more sense to build a, a base there or whatever, so they've built a fortress, they've taken down a couple of the like boss characters, I guess, but as you progress through the game and fight these bosses, it makes the uh, surrounding area tougher and you'll have like mm. creatures attack the towns that you've made and attack your settlements, so you have to actually um, either build defenses for them to worry about or, or make sure you have people ready to, war- to, to run back and fight if trolls and stuff attack your village. So I've enjoyed it. I don't know if it's something I could play indefinitely because i i mean there is i think it's five or six bosses and then you've done everything you can do and you would just start again with a randomly generated world but it's it's going to be the same general thing but playing casually with mm-hmm. a bunch of friends it is a good time and i know on our discord uh, a handful of folks are talking about maybe starting up a server or playing as a group there too which i, I might i would like to to start up as well but I, i've been playing a lot of valheim uh, which is totally different than the game we're going to talk about today but but jeremy what have you been playing i i Turned on the Xbox, and for some reason, I saw Fallout seventy six, and so Whoa. I downloaded it. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't played this since it came out, and mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody remembers that it was kind of a dumpster fire. It was, it was a weird Fallout game, and since then they've added a bunch of stuff, like most live service games do, especially ones that are failing. <laughs> so they kind of try mm. to add a bunch of stuff to to turn it around. Let's say. And their big update was adding NPCs to the game. Because if you remember, Fallout 76 did not have any mm. human NPCs when it was released. It was just you and your other vault buddies running around in the wasteland. And that was pretty much it. Uh, it, it did make for the most terrifying Fallout game ever created because you could be out in the middle of nowhere and suddenly some actual person will just run through a door and you shit your pants. But it was overall a very lonely experience and it didn't help that the main storyline was basically you going around finding tapes to play, Mm -hmm. you know, like logs and things like that and finding out basically everyone's dead over the course of the story. Really about the only... 
people that you met, well, people in quotes, were robots and stuff like that. But the wasteland is now filled with people, and they are roaming around asking you for drugs and money all the time. They completely redid the the story quest where it's now, uh, you know, when you go out, you're not just looking for the overseer's logs. You're you're actually going to a small little settlement and helping them and and. It does a really good job of guiding you through the first parts of the game and taking you to places that uh, you didn't actually go whenever you first started the game. It, it kind of winds in the overseer's logs too, uh, but then at in the early part of the game, you actually meet the overseer. You know mm-hmm. <laughs> that woman that was talking to you. She's just mm-hmm. up on a house. You know, just chilling in there, and uh, like that. That's kind of neat. So it's. It feels more like a Fallout game, but it still doesn't feel like a good Fallout game. Like the, I really love you know still going around looting and exploring. It's it's got some cool places, but overall, like it it still just feels like one of those weird live service games that that shouldn't actually be a live service game. It's uh, it's it's got your quests and it's got plenty of stuff to do. But it, it, I don't know. It, it, the entire time I play it, it just makes me want to play Fallout 4. And so, you know, maybe that's what I'll do because that's why I kind of got into this. I got a Fallout itch and really wanted to see what this had done, if I could s- sink some time into it. And I did. And it's still fun for what it is, but it's still, it's still just kind of a, a middling Fallout game. So, yeah, that's what I've been wasting my time with. Well, hopefully you've also wasted your time on the game we're going to talk about today, or else it's just going to be a lot of me talking about how I'm not very good at it, <laughs> Einhander for the PlayStation. Now, this game came out in 1997 in Japan, 1998 in the U.S., um, If you didn't live through the time, Squaresoft on the PlayStation kind of exploded into this, this, you know, at first they were like the RPG company, right? That was what everyone knew Squaresoft as. Yeah, they did a few things here and there that weren't that. But on PlayStation, you know, they came out with Tobal Number 1, which was kind of this virtual fighter with RPG elements that was neat, but kind of a weird a weird game, but it had the demo disc for Final Fantasy VII, right? So after Final Fantasy VII came out, that was huge and kind of re re birthed the RP the, the RPG console market mm. in the US at least for, for PlayStation. Because up to then it was like, yeah, there's all these kind of okay RPGs, but Super Nintendo is still the way to go. And Final Fantasy VII came out and was like, whoa, this is what next generation RPGs are going to be. Whether or not you you enjoy it as much as other games doesn't really matter. It it was definitely a huge impression on a lot of people. But literally right after that, between Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII on the PlayStation, Square put out a ton of games that were not standard RPGs. So you had the follow-up to Tobal, you had um the Front Mission series came out. You had uh, Bushido Blade 1 and 2. If you played Bushido Blade, those were these kind of like almost stealth action games, but not quite to the level of like Tenchu. They were a little more technical in, in fighting. I like Bushido Blade. Uh, they had Parasite which we talked about before. Air Guys, which we covered before as well. I mean, tons of games that were not standard RPG games. And one of those was, I guess, their entry into the shoot 'em up world that I'm going to call a shmup, despite the fact that our friend Kyle hates that phrase. Uh, the, the game we're going to talk about today, um, Einhander, uh, when it came out, you know, I wasn't sure if it would be any good because one, I wasn't great at these kind of, you know, uh, side scrolling or, or top down 
shoot em up plane shooter games like Gradius or things like that. I always liked them, but I wasn't very good at them. But also, this isn't something Square does. So was it going to end up being, you know, a great game or one of those kind of like, yeah, okay, like like Air Guys, it was neat. But would I say it's a fighter everyone needs to try? Probably not, right? So I always wanted to try Air Guys as soon as I heard about it. And when I finally did play it, uh, I was not good at it, but I did think it had some neat mechanics. Did either of you guys play mm. Einhander before? Uh, this was was not one I have played before. Um, I think I <laughs> I've been on record here of saying that uh, this this kind of game just ah oh, just sitting in my wheelhouse. It's not it's not my forte uh, to play these kinds of shooters. Uh, it, it's not quite as hectic as the the usual. I guess like I space shooter i guess the usual side scrolling shooter um that normally is a, is a big a big turnoff for me uh but i probably i i could see myself looking at this box or looking at this in the magazine and just immediately saying yeah this is this is not something that interests me so no um this was even those those early playstation days when i was probably looking pretty heavy and, and renting whatever the video store had. Um, Cause I, I lived in a town where, where PlayStation games, they came, they came pretty late. Uh, it had been around a little bit and, and my, you know, my video stores are still peddling, you know, the, the, the previous generation. Uh, so no, I either encountered this one and, and was put off by it or just, just never encountered it at all, but I, I have no memories of this one until we started talking about it. Yeah, I, I played a lot of Einhander back back in the day when it first came out. I was a huge Squaresoft junkie, and you know, coming from the 16-bit days on onto the you know the the PlayStation, I I was pretty much into whatever they were putting out, except driving a motion type S. That was not a very good driving game, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's uh, they they were on a roll on the PlayStation, and it, it's hard to do, to just kind of describe how big a lot of those games were back then. Like this was in a time where the craziness was so high that when Brave Fencer Masashi came out, people were like, "This is the Zelda killer." You know, mm. Square was at that kind of you know the top of everyone's list of like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever, especially after Final Fantasy VII. So anything Square was putting out at the time was gold, whether it should be or not. Um, Einhander came out and it looked cool as hell. And so I was like, I'm gonna, you know, try this. Um, shooters really aren't my thing, but you know, it was there at Electronics Boutique. It had cool art and the back of it looked pretty cool. So yeah, I, I grabbed it. And it's uh it's up there with uh, Axelay is basically one of the very few shooter games that I have played and continue to like to this day. Well, what made this stand out for me at the time wasn't just that it was a a shooter game on the PlayStation. It was not a fully three D shooter, right? That's really what they were doing at the time. There was a handful of traditional 2D shmup games like Raiden came out as one of the early launch titles and I know there were a handful of others but not very many and so by this point to see that oh wow there is another game that is a even though it's got the the 3D backgrounds and everything's polygons and it's got that kind of 2D 3D look like you know we had we talked about Klonoa and, and Tomba and all these games that kind of had they were 2D at their core but in this 3D kind of world so there would be parts where the camera mm -hmm. would slightly shift or whatever but still it played like a traditional 2D um, shoot 'em up game. So I, 
I was I was like, I have to try this because I love these kind of games and I don't really care for three fully 3D shooters. Like they have a place and they're fine, but I don't I don't like those nearly as much as a traditional top-down or side-scrolling uh, 2D shooter, which is what Einhander really is at its core. You are um, the, the one ship against an army. The story of this game is literally that the moon is fighting against the earth. The armies of the moon are fighting against the armies of the earth. Uh, it's the second world war, I guess the second planetary war between these two entities. Uh, but you're on the side of the moon. Uh, and much like any of these Squaresoft games at this time, the game starts off with some pretty amazing like cinematics that look really good for the time. Uh, they, they have this kind of... Uh, very square soft feel. I don't know how else to describe it. The, the the way the buildings look and the backgrounds, the little icons on on stuff. It's it's very square soft army fighting army. But once that cinematic ends and you get to start the game itself, you basically are thrown into the middle of a city for your first mission, where you're just fighting, um, you know, hordes of enemies. It is not it's not a bullet hell shooter. Or there's a lot of those games where literally the screen fills with bullets and you have to slowly dodge between them. And there are sections that feel like there's a lot more dodging, but it's a lot more of a you know, there's three or four ships at a time on the screen, and you have to make sure you just take them out before they take you out. Uh, and the 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 big mechanic to this game that st- makes it stand out from other shooters, um, you is that that as you're destroying certain enemies, instead of getting power ups that you know are like in a little capsule or something that you pick up on the way, you'll have ships that fight you. When you can clearly see that the guns they have on some of those big ships look very similar to guns you've seen in other parts of the level. And when you destroy certain parts of those ships, the, the, the gun may, you know, break off and float away, and you can pick it up uh, with your other arm. That's the Einhander, as your ship has a little arm at the bottom. So uh, if you pick the standard ship, and there are some ships you can start from in the game, and we'll talk about the differences in those ships in a minute, but if you start with the Einhander Mark II, which is like the default ship, you have uh, your square button fires, uh, not your regular machine guns, and that just, you know, unlimited fire, it's your basic gun, you fight for everything. But then the X button will fire whatever your current, uh, they call them gun pods, gun pod that you've picked up is. There are eight different guns you can pick up off of the enemies throughout the game. Um, some of them are, you know, things like a machine gun, but they're called Vulcan cannons. You have these homing missiles from the Wasp missile launcher, grenades, um, you know, all the things you'd expect to find in these shoot 'em up games. But instead of like just your ship flies and you pick up a blue capsule and now you shoot lightning bolts out of your main gun. Instead, you always have your standard gun, but those extra things you pick up have a set number of bullets. So if you pick up, say, the cannon, you'll get 30 bullets in your cannon. And the cannon shoots these giant shots out of the the bottom of your ship. And as you use them, you can see that number count down. If you use up all the cannons, all the bullets in your cannon, uh, then it falls off your ship and you can then pick up other other guns without having to worry about it. Otherwise, you can store up to three guns that you've picked up of three different kinds. So you couldn't have three cannons, but you could have a cannon, you could have a Vulcan, you could have a, a Wasp, and then you use the R1 and L1 buttons to swap between which of the guns is your active X button fire. Uh, once you have a full... Uh, capacity of of those weapons and you pick up a fourth new weapon type let's say you you have like i mentioned you have the cannon the vulcan and the wasp uh and then you destroy the spread gun off a ship and you accidentally run into it whatever your active secondary gun you have is uh it will be replaced by the spreader gun so you have to make sure not only are you picking up the weapons you do want over and over again to increase your bullet count but you don't want to grab if you have a full capacity of weapons you don't want to just grab any weapon you find because it will get rid of one of the weapons you have that you really want uh, which i thought was a neat a neat mechanic a neat way to make sure you have these secondary guns you it doesn't totally mm-hmm. change to where you're constantly holding down both fire buttons because you'll run out of weapons very quickly um, but you also you know get enough of these weapons throughout the level it's not a rare occurrence that you find these guns in fact it's it's pretty standard throughout the level up until you get to a boss that they're all over the place so you do want to use them constantly but you can't just hold down the fire buttons indefinitely or you will run out of weapons 
this is it's probably why like one of the biggest reasons i actually like this game mm-hmm. it's it, it, all the variety that you can have with with having you know picking up the different weapons especially once you get into that third ship type which we'll talk about here in a few minutes but it, there's just a lot there you know as far as like what you can use for each situation and it's not like these power-ups are just coming by every once in a while like most shooters it's dropping from just about every single thing that you you kill uh you know you if you see an enemy using a certain type of gun then you know just blast it go over with your ship dick and pick it up and you're good to go and it shows <laughs> it actually shows on your ship like you know you can actually tell what it is uh you know it's like the different guns all look different sitting on your ship and it's actually really cool mm-hmm. because it can kind of be confusing at times knowing what you actually have because there's so much stuff just blowing up and sometimes you'll just grab something you didn't mean to which is an unfortunate part of the game but it's uh, there's a lot to work with there and you know it's one of those one of those things where it's like you mentioned it's not a bullet hell kind of game which is again probably why I actually like it but because of all the variety of the weapons and stuff like that it it actually allows you to experiment way more than what you would with with your typical kind of shooter game yeah and and i mean i oh i love little things about it like it does a, a lot of small things that kind of keep me invested in you know a type of game that's that's not usually my my thing um and one of those is what is what you're talking about like when you pick up these weapons um it you cosmetically it looks different that's a big thing for me uh, that automatically there is some weird box in my head that gets ticked off when um I pick things up along the way and it changes the look of my character or in this case my ship uh, and that 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 was probably the first thing that kind of had me hooked that and it, it, it was a pretty great presentation for this um it has a nice little intro to it uh the music's really good but it usually is drowned out by the sounds of just continually shooting um but otherwise yeah th- this thing early on had a, a, a lot of things going for it and yeah it's not like i said it's not really a, a, a bullet hell which i i thought made it a little less intimidating to kind of get into like you could you could you know dip your feet in on this one and and give it a try and i i at least appreciated that in the early goings not being a bullet hell is nice um mm-hmm. but what i had a problem not problem with but my my issue with games that aren't bullet hells is a lot of time when you get to a boss or something a little more involved with a fight it's you have to be very precise with watching their attacks and what they do. Like with a bullet hell, a lot of the time, I feel like it's more about just dodging. It's just about dodging the shots and making sure you're firing the whole time so that you can eventually whittle away the enemy. Um, Now, I'm not good at those games, so take that for whatever it's worth, but that's how I play those games. Um, With these instead, even the first boss, you have to really watch their signs to see what they're doing. They'll have attacks that come across fairly quickly that home in on you to some level, so you have to just be paying attention and not just, okay, I'm, I'm watching shots on the screen and, and dodging through them. The other thing is on this game, because it is 2D, 3D, uh, as opposed to a strict 2D game, sometimes the backgrounds get a little busy and I can't tell uh, what is something I'm supposed to not hit or or where some bullets are based on where explosions are, but that's more of a me problem. I don't think it's a, it's, it's a game breaker by any means, um, but that was the, the, my issue with it not being a bullet hell is that there's just enough other things going on around you that sometimes it was hard for me to figure out exactly, you know, did, did I shoot this thing down or is it, is it a lot of the time when you, when you 
do enough damage to an enemy, it will slowly crash down on the screen, which is great. But is it really crashing? And is it now where I can drive into it? Or is it not fully dead yet? And if I drive into it, will I die? So little things you have to figure out. But I, overall, I thought that was cool. The other thing with the guns that I forgot to mention is when you pick them up, um, it, it's a regular you know, classic kind of shooter. So you don't have a health bar when you get hit by, if your ship gets hit by a, a, a bullet, you're dead. If you drive into an enemy, you don't need to be, you're dead. If you have a gun on the, on your ship and you have the bullet hit the gun instead, uh, guns have their own separate, you know, number of hits they can take or, or how much damage they can take before they will get knocked off your ship. So you can kind of use them as a shield if you're good enough at aiming it that way, uh, or at least as for emergency cases, it's good for that purpose. So I did like that as well. Uh, the other thing with your, with your arm, which we forgot to mention is if you hit the circle button, the arm will switch between between underneath your ship or over top of your ship, which depending on which gun you have can do different things. For example, with the Vulcan gun, uh, the difference is literally the gun is on the bottom of your ship versus the gun being on the top of your ship, which just means when you move forward and backwards, the gun will aim up higher or lower depending on where you are on the screen. Like it, it's not a fixed gun. It's like it, it bobs up and down a little bit. So when you move, it can, it can shoot up and down like angle differently. Um, but for the spread gun, for example, if you switch to the spread gun, Underneath your ship, the spread shoots forward. On top of your ship, the spread shoots backwards. So depending on which gun you have, it is different if it's on the bottom or top of your ship, which I thought was also a really neat mechanic. It would allow you to really mix things up, um, especially if, and, and we kind of said we would talk about them later, so let's talk about them now. Depending on what ship you pick, that is actually uh, a massive difference depending where the gun would be because, uh, so you, the Einhander Mark, uh, sorry, the Endymion Mark II is the basic ship that you start with. You get three gun pods. You can store up to three gun pods, and you have your machine guns with the with the X button. There's the Endymion Mark III, which is the one I started the game with, and it says in the description of the ships, this is like an easier ship to start with, I guess. Uh, your machine guns are twice as powerful, but you can only hold up. You can only hold one gun pod. So if you whatever weapon you've picked up is the one you have until you either use all of it up or get a different gun pod but your machine guns are way more powerful so the gun pods when you play on that version are kind of an afterthought they're nice for damn you know doing damage for to bosses but really your machine guns are mowing through things a lot faster than you think they will. So that, that's kind of an easier way to play the game. But the last ship you start with is the Astrea FGA Mark I, which has machine guns, but only two gun pods. However, the gun pods are essentially tied to the uh, the not just the X button, but also the square button. So one of your gun pods is X, the other is square, and you, at that point, lose your machine guns, and you can fire both of those at the same time, which gives you some really crazy... Um, it doesn't change the weapons, but it, it it's a really... If you find the right mix of weapons, you can basically make a wall of bullets. Yeah, and, and that's like the big big thing. Like, you know, once you get to this point, uh, you can find some some crazy overpowered combinations. Like, you know, just using that... Um, there's like a, a... Basically like a sword kind of thing that you can fling around the, the, the screen. It's It's incredibly fun. But just using it by itself... You always kind of feel like it's just a little bit underpowered, but man, you get into that mode with that ship and you've got that sword and you've got, you know, homing missiles going or something like that with the, you know, any variety of weapons that you can find to make these just crazy combinations. Like I, mm -hmm. to me, this is the way to play Einhander. Like I had the most fun as a kid playing it this way. Like if you want to play it more like a straight up shooter, uh, the other two ships are fine. Uh, the the first ship is definitely more like arcade arcadey. Uh, the second ships you're getting there. It's kind of intermediate mode. Uh, <laughs> but then that that third one where you can just mix and match everything. It's so much fun, and it's I I won't say that the game is almost uh, balanced in the difficulty department for that mode. 
but it kind of seems like it. No, I would believe it because those guns are all, I mean, varying degrees of like, yeah, this is clearly just something to blast forward to guns that are very specifically built for different, different dynamics. So, um, Mm -hmm. like I said, there's eight gun pods in the game. You've got cannons, which shoot a giant shot forward. They look like exactly what I, I mean, it's a big giant gun. You mount to the bottom or top of your ship. Uh, the Vulcan cannon is, is machine guns. Uh, it has a bunch of rounds. I think something like 500 rounds or something crazy when you pick it up, but it's, you know, when you do have that, you can essentially just hold down the button. You'll barely ever run out of shots if you pick up, keep picking them up, uh, but it doesn't do a ton of damage, but it's a neat gun. It makes you feel good. Uh, the spread gun shoots kind of three way across, unlike the spread gun in Contra, which is the best gun ever. I found this gun to be the absolute worst, um, but for taking mm. out a bunch of small gun, small enemies, as your secondary fire while you hold down your machine gun. It wasn't bad, but I still think it was the gun I picked up the least, uh, on purpose at least. Uh, the Wasp is not quite homing missiles. They slightly home in, but they don't like loop around all over the place. They, they are very a very wide homing missile, but they those are good. They're missiles, and they home slightly. How can you not like that? Grenades lob forward, but do a ton of damage. Uh, the Riot Gun is essentially, and I had to figure out how to use this properly, it looks like a giant blade... Um, Almost like a, like a blade should come out of it, but it doesn't. Instead, you hold down that button, and you'll see your energy on the weapon count down until eventually it stops. I think let's say it has fifty energy. After ten, it stops, and then when you let go of the button, it shoots out this giant electric blade forward real quick, mm-hmm. that then goes back in like a lightning bolt. Uh, that does a ton of damage. on On the mid boss in level one, you can earn uh, the riot gun by doing a kind of a skill section, which we'll talk about getting some of the skill points and levels. But the 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 riot gun charged up three times, blasted the thing apart. And it was it was like oh well this is this is great but it has a very limited amount of function you can't aim it it always shoots down at that exact same angle uh, but amazing gun as a secondary gun it's it's pretty great I imagine if I had that and you know the Vulcan cannon or something I would just be set for a while mm-hmm. um, the hedgehog will drop bombs up or down depending if it's on the top of your ship or the bottom uh, otherwise I I found this gun to be fairly useless most of the time but on specific areas it was the best weapon you could possibly get because it would shoot straight mm. down on top of things mm-hmm. uh, and then the blade that Jeremy mentioned uh, it's like a lightsaber kind of looking blade I was never very good at using this but I admittedly you don't even find it until later in the like after the first couple levels unless you can earn it uh, by doing some of those secret modes or secret sections. But uh, but I didn't get it to level three. And by then, I had not learned how to use it very well. So I, I picked it up and thought it was neat. And then I immediately switched back out for the cannon, which I, I had as my basic basic gun for mostly the entire game. Yeah, and and the, the variety of weapons on here is it's it's pretty cool the way they work. Uh, and a lot of them just have different angles. Like I, th- I think one is about a 45. Of course, you have the... Um, the, the, the cannon which or the grenade rather that i believe fired that was the one that fired behind you you talked about uh the, the one that fired straight up and down that uh hedgehog and it, it was neat that each gun kind of did its own thing uh there are games like we always god we always go back to contra it always goes back to that but there's there are games like contra where if you grab the spread shot you were done uh, the spreader is going to get you through that game. But I felt on this one that they probably were urging you to try out a little bit of each, that it, that each weapon kind of had their their time to shine um, throughout. Uh, yeah, that, that cannon was the one that I probably used. At least I, I can see the the use of it. But I, I did feel this game was trying to urge you to give everything a shot, get everything leveled up, go at everything full power, and 
everything had a use at some point. There weren't any weapons that I felt were really just throwaway. There weren't any where it's like, I'm, I'm not dealing with that again. I think it did a great job of kind of giving you a variety of weapons that were all not terrible. It's it's one of those games where it, it gives you a lot of different situations that mm-hmm. you, you kind of need to figure out which which guns are best for and, and what mode they should be in. Uh, you know, it's it's you got enemies coming up from the bottom of the screen all over the place. And even with the bosses, which is another thing that I love about this game, the the bosses aren't your typical shoot 'em up bosses in this one. It's more they they feel more alive they feel more like a a contra boss you know sometimes like they're just jumping around and you're actually dodging them uh just as much as you know the stuff they're shooting at you which you know your your typical shmup most of the bosses will just kind of stay in one place and it's all about memorizing the bullet patterns coming at you um you still got to do some memorization with these but uh, they just feel more alive and and how they're all over the screen and i think that that's one of my big complaints about this game. This this game has that shoot 'em up problem of of just your ship's too big. Everything just seems mm-hmm. too big. Jeremy yeah. kind of mentioned it, but um, it it's just the stuff that's on the screen all looks good, but it's just a bit too big. And when you got um, you know these bosses and and ships coming at you, jumping around the screen, and your ship doesn't move that fast anyway, it's it's one of those things where you kind of got to remember where you need to be. You know, kind of like the the bullet hell stuff, but you just have to maneuver yourself to to get underneath this thing as it's jumping across the screen. Because you know, if it if it touches your your ship dick or even you know just a bit, you're dead. So it's it. it I, I love the bosses, but I, I will throw that complaint out that that everything is it feels just a bit too big and clunky in this game. Mm. Yeah, I, I had that problem. I wasn't sure if it was just me. Um, I have been playing a lot of of classic shmups lately just because I, I enjoy them trying to get better at them. Um, and this, I definitely had problems where it was hard for me to dodge. Um, but but also, at least like the first boss does this, and I know some of the other other sections do it. I haven't heard another boss where this has been a problem yet, but I'm sure it might happen. I have not finished this game. Um, I got a little over halfway through it. but um, it, And it's, it's not a very long game. There's seven levels total. Um, what I like that this game does, I'm uh, mentioning the levels just real quick before I go back to what I was saying, uh, the, when you finish a level, it gives you like a score summary and then it keeps moving. So it feels like it's one contiguous mission. It's not like you finish the mission and then it, you know, you see your ship fly off the screen and then you end up in a different, like, oh, now I'm in a jungle and now I'm in a water world and now I'm in whatever. A lot of games do that. This is a continuous mission into like this fortress and this factory area. And then back, you know, it's, it's, it's really neat how it, it transitions between the stages. But anyway, um, Like the first boss, you get to him and all of a sudden the camera shifts to this not quite sideways angle, but also not quite head on. It's this diagonal sort of thing. And while it still controls okay, it was hard for me to dodge in that mode because it just was a slightly different camera angle. And there's nothing you could do to change. It's just how the game was. Uh, I didn't mind it because, again, it was only the first boss, who's not incredibly difficult. But there were other sections of the game where that did happen as well, where the camera would slightly shift, and it threw me off each time. Again, that could just be me and not as much complaint about the game, but uh, it did happen a few times. And the, the... the third boss, I guess, is one that does this thing where yeah, he jumps around the screen a little bit along with his regular attacks. I, after I died the first time to it, I thought it was neat because then I had to learn to do it. But it is hard to dodge that when you don't know it's coming because it, it, you are so big, it literally just jumps and you're just taking up the entire corner of the screen. So it it 
it's not bad once you know it, and I know a lot of these games are about memorization and then making sure you're ready for each section. Maybe, you know, maybe you just remember here's there's seven of these ships and then two mini bosses and then seven of these ships and then the final boss. But you still have to memorize where everything's coming in uh, so that you can be ready for it. So that's the same of any shooter. It's not just this one, but with the size mm. of some of the bosses and ships, there are sections that I felt like you really had to memorize what was coming, um, including those secret sections. Like I mentioned, there are a couple sections of the game where there are almost like skill challenges you have to do i only found one of these i know jeremy said there are there were 20 or 21 in the whole game i guess two or three per level um i only found one on the first level where you're flying across the city and there's all these neon signs and if you can shoot all the neon signs uh, in this one section where you can clearly see when one breaks away like okay i have to shoot through these if you can shoot them all it says like s bonus achieved and you can earn the the riot gun there early otherwise you don't see the riot gun until later uh those are neat and, and I, I thought they were really cool. But again, if you didn't know they were coming and didn't know exactly what you had to even fire at, which, I mean, I've beaten beaten three or four levels of this game, and I only found that one secret spot where I could even guess where the others would be. I, that's really cool, but also very frustrating. Yeah, it's it's nothing you'd you'd probably know unless, you know, you, you played it a ton or you just you found a, some stuff, tips in a magazine like I did when I was a kid. Mm. Um, you know, and it went through and, and kind of told you what you need to do. But one of the cooler things those little bonuses actually do is, you know, if you get them all in some of the levels, I, I think maybe all of them, but I've, I've only seen a few, is uh, it will actually take you to a, a little bit different part area of the, of the stage that you wouldn't normally go through. And like, I, I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, these... Most of the time, the game's difficulty is going to prevent you from really caring, you know, about trying to go for these bonuses, unless you just really know what you're doing. Uh, it's it's kind of, it, it's pretty damn hard to, to even try for them. That first stage is easy because, you know, they're there and it's, for the most part, whenever you're shooting those, you're just kind of shooting those. There's nothing coming at you. But later on in the game, things get, get pretty hairy. Yeah, and and I think that's the thing. Um, you know, for their, and it's a shame because yeah, I am just in survival mode the entire time I played through this. I'm not trying to do extra. I'm man. I just want to get by. I do. So I, I looking back at, I don't know if that's something that knowing it's there would really pull me. I can't say that I enjoyed this quite enough that I would get pulled back in under the guise of, you know, finding finding these hidden things or, or things that extend levels that I already just wanted to get done with. Uh, I, I can appreciate this game for what it, for what it is and, and for what it isn't. Like I said, it, it seems a lot more fair um, than a lot of other games in, in this genre. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. If you're one of those completionists or you're someone that is breezing through this game on the regular um, I, I'm sure once again, I'm sure this is one of those videos that on YouTube, there's always people that just completely baffle me with their proficiency at games. And I'm sure this one exists too. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed what I got out of it. I don't know if I want more per se. I don't know if I enjoyed it enough to where it's like, man, I, I hated to, hated to put this one down. You know, um, what I will say though, is that hats off. In these early PlayStation days, for not going with that hefty ass polygon type look that that does not hold up to this day, uh, and I'm I'm talking Toshinden levels of it. 
and instead they went with a style that I still upon playing this was kind of shocked to see as far as as how nice it is. It, it's got a lot going for it. It's just, unfortunately, I, I don't feel qualified <laughs> to speak on it too much because it's still at the end of the day. It's just, it's not, uh, not my type of game. It does a little bit better. It, it's a better representative of this kind of side-scrolling shooter genre than most. Uh, I dare say if one was going to kind of get me invested, it would be this one. And I probably did put more time into this one than any other. But it's still, ah, it's just not something I can get on board with. I, I really like playing this again. Again, I've been playing a lot more classic uh, shooters lately just um, for... for because I have an Evercade. Really, that's 90% of the games that mm -hmm. I have on. But I, I, I've been playing a lot more of those and trying to learn the mechanics on them. There, there's another game uh, called Gaiares that's on the Genesis that was a renovation shooter that has kind of a similar mm. mechanic when you, um, you to, to grab weapons off of enemies. But instead of being... Um, instead of being this, where you can clearly see what the weapon is, uh, you basically have like a... Gra uh, almost like a... A, a tractor beam thing you can pull enemies in with that then they will if you do that on certain enemies it will on their weapons it will you'll like absorb their weapons and then get to regain them um, but you didn't know what you were going to get until after you've done it where this is much more clear you can see it says cannon when it flies off the enemy and you pick up the cannon and it's clearly a cannon like there's no guess on what weapon you're going to get uh, once you pick it up from the, this game which I really like but then mm -hmm. so the, the mechanics on this are different enough that I really like it I do want to go back and try to play with that um, that gun that Jeremy the, the ship that Jeremy sounds like he used more often where you get both of the uh, the gun pods at the same time because I only tried it just to see the difference between the ships and I was like this is neat but I'm not good enough at this game yet to make advantage of this I really want that machine gun the whole time I, I never let go of the button uh, which may or may not be a good way to play this game because uh, at the end of every level you get a score and when you finally you know use up all your lives and, and don't continue um, it gives you like a summary of six different items that it ranks you on some of them are very self-explanatory you have a, you have a shot down which is how many enemies you face that you shot down like percentage wise I guess your total score um, the boss bonus so how well and how fast you destroyed the boss how effective you were because each boss has their own you know specific areas you're supposed to hit and depending on what you hit you can kind of get rid of different cycles of their weapons and such um, the uh, Highest percentage of, of takedown, I guess, of uh, which I guess is the shot down percentage as opposed to just number shot down. Uh, also an S bonus for how many times you found those secret areas, which I never got very high on since I only found one. But there's a, there's a score marked tech points, and I never received one tech point. I don't know how you earn them. I've played this game now for a, a solid two weeks. I have yet to earn one tech point. Do you have any idea, Jeremy, what I'm supposed to do to earn tech points? I don't actually remember, honestly. Uh, it, it doesn't affect the game, as far as I know. Uh, it, it always just kind of reminded me of some of those games that's got, like, you know, style points. It's just like, what mm. did I even do to earn any of mm. these? And uh, it, it that's always kind of what it struck me as. If it does anything super cool and, and the people that are listening knows, please write in. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I, as far as I know, it never really did anything. Yeah, I don't know if it does anything. I just it annoyed me that I couldn't figure out how to earn them. Like it wasn't like I didn't want to look it up. I wanted to just kind of organically figure it out, uh, and I never did, which is frustrating. Sometimes it's, you know, when you finally get the thing, it's like, oh, it's because there's secret hidden blocks you have to hit or something. I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll find out someday. I'm not overly worried about it, but I didn't I know just, if you would know. I just, I just, I think it's it's just so lame that you guys don't know about tech points. I know you well, don't know how to get them. What kind of podcast I, are we? We don't do any research. You know, and and you know, I. I feel inclined not to tell you anything, but I'm not going to divulge the knowledge I know about tech points and how to earn massive amounts of them in this game. I'm not going to do it. Sorry. Is this like the 
the the little skateboards. Is that what I need to to use? Like put my <laughs> my two fingers and like go on the little toy ramp and do kick flips and shit. Yes, um, tech. The tech points are short for tech deck points. Okay, all right. Well, I I knew Square had some sponsorships in there. It's it's good to see that tech decks made it in there because you know that's that's my actual other hobby. Um, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and actually spoil the ending for you guys because Please I do. think it's worth Ooh. it. No, oh, well, um, I, hey, we got. I know we have people that have problems with spoilers that are older than they are. Um, skip ahead just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to hear the 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 ending of Einhander, uh, then then go ahead and skip forward. But the um, the last stage is a they built a missile to blow up the moon, and Damn. you you actually have to. Uh, chase after this rocket and destroy it. And this stage is timed. It gives you a time limit. And there is, you, you can either do it and kill, destroy the rocket, or you can not kill it. And those are your two endings. So if you don't kill it, it you know, that's, that's it. That's your bad ending. Uh, essentially, everybody flies over and, and kills you. The good ending... <laughs> Is one of the best. That's, that's not the good ending. It's is one of the best good endings, and I use good in quotes. But mm-hmm. the um, they have decided as your um, reward for being able to, you know, save your people and all this stuff is you're going to get ranked up, and now all they're, they're building all these new ships that are exactly like yours, and they're going to use AI based on your ships. You know how you fought the enemy, Jesus. and they point them all at you. <laughs> and so there is an actual final, final stage after this where you are fighting basically everything from the moon, and uh, a fucking impossible boss at the very end. And if you manage to do that, then you go on a, a suicide mission to the moon and blow up everything on it, and then you die. And that's it. The that's fuck? the story of I. <laughs> It's so that's a very Squaresoft story. I'm going to be honest. That's a very great. Squaresoft story. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome that it has that. I saw that at a certain point, and I we obviously didn't get that far. Um, that there is like another cinematic, and then that other that other section starts up. So I did I did look ahead to see, make sure this wasn't the situation where, you know, after or wherever I got stopped by my lack of skill, the game drastically shifts, and I should have gotten there. And it does shift a little bit at that point, but I uh, I definitely. Uh, I'm going to keep trying at this because I do like it. Um, I also forgot to mention uh, this game is very generous with lives in some ways. Um, However, each time you die, you go back to a checkpoint. It's not one of those games where when you die, you immediately start right where you were. So if you're fighting Mm. a boss, you can't just be like, oh, I have 10 lives. I'll just hammer Mm. away at this boss as I die. And then I have, you know, three seconds of invincibility when I come back in. And then if I die again, I have not more lives to go through, right? I mean, that's, that is a strategy, maybe not a good one, but a strategy that I've used for some of the more difficult bosses on some of these games. Um, This much like Gradius or or some of the other shooters of this time, uh, when you die, you go back to a checkpoint. So if you're at a boss specifically, a lot of the time you start right before them, maybe with one or two abilities to get a power up right before then, and then you go right to the boss and you have to start from scratch each time. It makes it so that, yes, once you learn the levels, you know, they're all very short. The game is under an hour long if you know what you're doing. 
Uh, and the levels I know, I've, I mean, at this point, I've mastered the first two levels where I can get through them without dying at all most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I hit that third level, I blow through lives uh, on the the second half of it just because I'm not very good at it yet. Uh, and that's how my experience was playing this. Like I would, you, you have three lives per continue and you have 10 continues. So essentially the game is giving you 30 lives, but 30 lives where you start at a checkpoint each time is different than 30 lives where I can just hammer away at a boss if I'm stuck. If that was the case, I would have blown through this game pretty easily, I think. But um, I, I still really recommend this if you're a fan of shooters at all uh, or just a fan of, of neat mechanics in these kind of games. Uh, this is this is definitely a, a great Squaresoft game uh, and, and a solid shooter on a system that had a handful of other really good shooters. I don't think the PlayStation is, you know, renowned as like a the shmup system or anything like a Turbo Graphics or some of those systems were, but the, the few that are on there that are really good, this game is is excellent. Um, I mentioned uh, Raiden earlier, which is fine. It's kind of a very standard arcade port, but I had uh, uh, G Darius on there was another like kind of 2D, 3D, really, really good shooter that I had uh, at the time. So th- there are some really good ones on PlayStation, but Ironhander is definitely one I would fully recommend. And like I said, not my bag. Um, this game just didn't didn't change my mind about this kind of genre. But man, if this is your cup of tea on the normal basis, you you got to give this one a shot. Uh, I will say it does more as an ambassador for these these types of shooters um, than any other game. And if you already love that genre, I, I think this was one that uh, is is worth looking into i could say that much about it but i i guess i can also say if you don't like them uh this this probably still isn't gonna be enough to change your mind but it, it does some neat things it looks good it sounds good i i, I love the little cosmetic changes with the different weapons i like the variety of weapons there is a lot here at the end even though i didn't completely enjoy this game there's still a lot to love So that's our thoughts on Einhander for the Sony PlayStation. Definitely uh, a, a, sh- a shooter worth checking out if you like shooters at all. Mm-hmm. If not, though, it may not change your opinion. Uh, but hopefully we can change your opinion on who you'll ask questions to. If you have a question in your brain that you're like, I need three guys that only know about video games roughly mm-hmm. to answer, then the best way to do that is to go to Retrovania.net, uh, along with all the links to our social media and our Patreon and our Discord and everything else at the very bottom. There's a question form where you can put any question you want and we'll answer it on the show like we're going to do right now. All right, everybody. It is a special day for the mailbag. I hope you're ready. It is uh, the, the day that I did not actually screen any of the letters because oh, I didn't Jesus. have enough time. Oh, so boy. God help us all. Anyway, first question. <laughs> Sorry. First question comes in from Ben Edwards and he's running again to say, uh, hi, please get back to me. Okay. Uh, that's it. Well, we're here. Um, yeah. What What do you want? We're here so, for you. Uh, yeah. Do you think that was a real uh, question, or or do you think we lost some of the question, or do you think that was this? Uh, this is it. I can I can read you the entire thing. Uh, it says hi, and then please get back to me. Best Ben Edwards. Okay. Well, Ben, if you had another question, uh, perhaps include it next time. But otherwise, if you just want to get say a, hi, get back, hi, get back to us. Yeah. Get back to us. Yeah, we're not we're not stopping you. So we're not hard to find. Yeah, we're right here. 
So, uh, you know, whatever you got balled up inside of you that, that you couldn't get mm-hmm. out the first time, mm-hmm. uh, come back at us. Yell at us if you need to. Uh, mm-hmm. w- we'll be here. We will continue this question uh, once we get a complete question. <laughs> yeah. And uh, next question comes in from Queef Burglar 69 <laughs> and they're writing in... I should have read these. <laughs> we we should not laugh at these names because they're just going to get worse. I you know we're we're on that edge. <laughs> we're going to have to start banning names. I think this is Hogball's cousin. I believe. Just going to have to start making up my own names for you guys. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he wants to know about Mega Man Two. Do you guys agree <laughs> with the common opinion that Mega Man Two is the best of the NES Mega Man games of the Mega Men, uh, if you will? If not, which one of you or which one do you think is the best? I'm going to tell you, goddamn, don't. When it comes to names in the mailbag, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, that is nowhere near the question I thought we were going to be <laughs> handed. Um, as far as Mega, yes, I am in contention. I think Mega Man Two just nailed it of those old original NES Mega Man games. Um, I, I like three, but there's something about two. It has always been my favorite. It's the one I go back to. Um, I have gone back to the most. So they did something right with that second one that I just I feel like they were never able to capture again. Yeah, I have to agree. Two is is easily my favorite of the classic Mega Man. It's the easiest, which may maybe may why I like it the most. I, I think. Oh shit! It might, maybe that's why I play it so much. Well, it, and, and we've played it enough. I'm sure over time. I'm sure you have. I know I have. That I I know all those bosses. I know the order in which to take out their weapons, and it makes somewhat sense. Mm-hmm. Like the first game, uh, while it wasn't perfect, and there were definitely things they needed to iron out that they did well in two. Uh, the the cycle of beating the bosses made sense for the most part. The boss, you know, fire was good on ice, and then you'd use ice mm-hmm. on electric, and then like it all kind of made sense how you would how you would use that. But the um, uh, but but like Mega Man two, the the levels were much better built and more interesting than in the first game. Mm-hmm. The the music is solid start to finish. The Wily levels and Wily bosses are all really good, and it had the password, so you didn't have to play it from start to finish like you did the original game. Yeah. You could come back uh, and play it at your convenience. So the second game I thought was was the best. Like the first time on the second game, you get to the and the Wily level, the dragon. It was that was mind blowing as a kid. That was how did anything look this good on the Nintendo? It looks like a cartoon. Uh, it's it's an amazing boss. You play it now, it doesn't look like a cartoon anymore, but it still looks good and it plays well. And the, it's it is a solid game. I, I like three as well. Uh, five is one of my favorites on the console, but it but I think two has kind of the perfect difficulty level that you can enjoy it. It still has some challenge, but it's not like you're punching the screen angrily like you do with some of the other Mega Man games. Uh, it it is it two is my favorite and and probably the if not the the best on the NES, which it is, it might be the best in the entire series across the board. Mm-hmm. Well, since Mega Man Eight isn't on the NES, I guess I'll pick <laughs> Mega Man Two. It's uh, it, oh it it is a very very good sequel. And considering that I didn't actually like the first Mega Man game uh, when I played it as a kid, I just I didn't get into it. It was it was I, I liked the way it looked and everything, but I just wasn't quite as into it as everyone else. But then when I rented Mega Man 2, it clicked for me. Like, I got mm-hmm. it. I got what Mega Man was supposed to be. It was, you know, Capcom was just hit it out of the park with that sequel. And there's so many just good things about it that just, you know, the first one couldn't even touch. The second one, just a home run in every way. And 
they they kind of raise the bar almost too high for themselves because mm-hmm. you know even though the rest of the Mega Man games on the NES were pretty good, Mega Man Two is still the one that I think everyone will point to and be like, "That's that's the perfect Mega Man." So anyway, uh, I have to say this again. Thanks for mm-hmm. writing in Queef Burglar sixty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I think I think it's uh, safe to say we all enjoy Mega Man Two, even if it isn't Mega Man Eight. Next question comes in from Willie Hollandaise, and they're hey! writing in about morality systems. Hey guys, first off, I just want to say I love your podcast and your electric your electric choice in games that you review. There are a billion retro game podcasts that have covered a link to the past, but only a couple that even know what Skull Monkeys is. Anyway, I was wondering what game had your favorite implementation of a morality system, like Undertale or Fable, and what you enjoyed about their usage of it. Yes, I found your podcast on Spotify, and I am now a loyal Patreon subscriber. Plus one to Jeremy G. Also, what that mouth do? Mm. Man, all the Spotify fans like to let us know that I was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, damn. That's okay. I, I'm often told <laughs> I'm wrong in most aspects. I, you I, know, I, oh, go ahead, Billy. I mean, when we talk morality systems in game, I I think it it's something that almost exists as like just a gimmick. You don't play a lot of games where it changes a lot. I think a case in point is, uh, is you know, Bioshock. I always felt like it was built up to be a lot more than it was. Yeah, you get, you get different endings, but I don't. It doesn't really impact things. I guess I'm looking for something that impacts it throughout the game. You know, the Fable games do a, a decent job. I remember two doing pretty good in particular with it. Um, Fallout, Fallout Three. I thought, you know, depending on some things you did, but it just usually led to, you know, other other groups or areas being, you know, kind of hostile towards you more than anything. I'll tell you what does it good and, and makes it kind of feel like a, a living world is it's goddamn Red Dead 2. I, I mean, you go on a killing spree in town and, and the law's after you. There's going to be people out trying to get a fucking bounty on you. There's There's this and that. Some interact the way people in the world act around you is different. Uh, just there's so many little things in the game are different, and I guess that's what I, I like more. It's not, hey, this decision is, is going to heavily impact the ending of the game, you know, it's, it's not going to do anything throughout the game, the ending of it. Uh, give me something where there are just little changes in the world. Based on based on whether or not I'm being an asshole out there or not. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to answer this because anytime where it's offered to be uh, like a morality system, I always, for the first playthrough, try to be like Mr. Good Guy. And then my yes. second playthrough never happens. Like, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to go through now as a dick, and it never, ever occurs. And mm-hmm. I should probably start as a dick. Maybe it's because in a game I would rather be a nice person because in real life I may not be. I don't know. Uh, like, Mass Effect is a great example. I... I, I remember Mass Effect as a whole having all these really cool options to either be like the renegade or, or be the good guy. And I, I did try to do a renegade run. I didn't get very far in it before I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It's just not, it doesn't feel good, but I like mm. it. But it only didn't change the ending of the game necessarily. You know, especially the, the series, didn't matter what you did, you had a tunnel to the end of the game there. But mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a good system that did this morality in a way where I would, it would change the world without kind of, 
still ending up getting into the same endpoint. I don't because I, I think it's too hard to make a game like that. I mean, a, a classic yeah. game that does that pretty well, actually, but but it forces you to play as the good guy. But at least there is a mechanic that would punish you. Is the the old Ultima games, especially Ultima Four, um, because you were trying to become the avatar and have these different eight virtues. You had to make sure you followed all of them. If you went in town and stole stuff, for example, you would you would end up you know lowering your chances of of being able to complete parts of your quest that you went out and atone for those things. Um, also, if you were stealing in town and got caught, the guards would you know then attack you when you went back to that same town, much like Red Dead, um, until eventually, again, you could atone for yourself and, and make up for it. I thought that was neat at the time. It's not done incredibly well, but I like the idea of it. But I have yet to find a morality system that does not doesn't end up just kind of being a pick A or B, but ultimately you're going to the same place. Billy mentioned it, but for me, uh, Fable 2 is mm -hmm. my all-time favorite morality system because oh, yeah. that is the only game where I really just went 100% being the biggest bastard I could possibly be throughout the entire game. I'm kind of like Jeremy. Like, uh, I, I just normally can't do the bad you know, stuff. I'm just like, oh, man, I, it's kind of rude. I don't want to just punch you. But, mm -hmm. you know, in, in Fable... Like everyone in that game is just a piece of shit anyway. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like, they're calling me chicken chaser and stuff like that. It hurts. And so like, as the game went on, like, I just kind of decided I'm just going to be a bitch to all these people. You know, I got to the point where I was just going around buying up everybody's town, you know, making them as dirty mm -hmm. as possible, making everybody as miserable as I can. And I had yeah. a lot of fun doing that, which kind of scares me, but you know, it, it the game made it fun to be like that. Uh, I think a lot of these morality systems are just, you know, wool over the eyes. You know, it, it, they're there and, you know, you can participate if you want, but it's all leading, you know, to to the end, end goal of being the exact same of if you picked A or B, uh, like Jeremy said. So most of the time, I'll just try to play it straight. But Fable 2 was, was the one time I, I really had fun. Uh, just just going all out on these fuckers and and making their lives miserable. But yeah, thanks Willie Hollandays. Thanks for writing in, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, thanks for vindicating my Spotify rants. <laughs> I'll, I'll forever be grateful. Next question comes in from Jeremy Trumpeteer. Wow, it's my and, turn. Oh, finally, no. Uh, they're saying. Uh, Doot 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 Jeremy, do you have a response to this? Wow. I mean, that's that's dedication. If you're going to come up with a name and then just doot your way through a question, I mean, maybe my favorite question we've ever answered. So doot and doo-doo. That's my response to that. I actually I actually speak this. I was in band for a few years, and we've already told people, damn it, we're not going to tell you what that mouth do. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jeremy Trumpeteer. Uh, thanks for writing in. Dude, dude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Next question comes in from Scott Matthews. That's a normal name. And <laughs> he, he's got means... a game suggestion. Hi, I'm real. I'm relatively new to the podcast, having only discovered it a few months ago, but I'm rapidly making my way through your previous episodes. I noticed on the Snatcher Sega CD episode, Police Knots was mentioned briefly, and you guys said you would love to play it, but it's a Japan exclusive. I was thinking that. <clears throat> 
I was thinking this was odd as there is a very well-known fan translation patch for the Saturn and PlayStation versions mm. that has been available since 2009, way before the Snatcher episode. Also, lots of websites are hosting the pre-patched ROMs for your convenience. I'd love to hear you three cover it on the podcast and share your opinions. I played through it once when the translation was released and really enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, this is not the first time we've had this request, and yes, we are aware that it exists. Um, you know, just because something does exist, if it's not an official release, that's more what we meant. We meant that it's not; it was never officially released in the U.S. Yes, I know there are ways to play it, and I, and it's not something we're saying no to. It is something that other people have asked us to do, and I would like to revisit it at some point. Um, in, in the same way that, uh, you know, Mother Three never came out here, but you can find some some fairly easy ways to play a translated version. I would like to cover that as well at some point. Maybe not for the podcast, but in for my own personal enjoyment. But yes, Police Knots is one I would love to revisit uh, to cover uh, revisiting the the Snatcher kind of theme and world. Uh, so that's a, that's a maybe, and thank you for reminding us that it's out there. Uh, it is not the first time we've gotten such a request. And you know, there is a way to make us cover these things. That's true. Mm. Jeremy, What what is this thing that, that we have? That is true. I totally forgot the organic way to pimp <laughs> to, to pimp out our patreon if you want to force us to cover a game of any kind and we have some coming up that we would never have covered otherwise uh you did you join our patreon uh, at the the super dx retrovaniac fan 2 whatever the, the title is uh, but one of the things is we have to cover a game of your choice uh, and that is when we get us to cover it but we still may cover this one uh but if you were a patreon and forced us to it would guarantee it mm-hmm that's right, Scott Matthews. Thank you for having a normal name, and thank you for writing in. Next question comes in from Ronnie James Dio's Ghostly Nuts. What? <laughs> <laughs> Can't do this anymore. Ronnie James Dio's Ghostly Nuts. And they're writing oh, in about re repeat rentals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, all back when... Back when rentals were a thing, what were the yeah. games you rented more than once? Were there any you rented so many times, you might as well have just bought the game? Love the show, Ronnie's Nuts. Well, Ronnie's Nuts, um, there, there, were, there were a couple, two big standouts. Two. Um, and, and why I didn't buy them sooner, there were games I went on to buy. Uh, the first was Super Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo. This was almost just a... a weekly rental every weekend this was the go-to um it, it wasn't even one of those hey nothing else is in i guess we'll get this no we showed up every weekend for this game rented it for for weeks and weeks on end probably did spend as much as it would have been just to purchase it i i don't know why it wasn't bought um the other was got another big one mutant league football we rented the ever-living hell out of that game, played it. It was another one of those. It was almost just a weekend rental. That was probably our default. Hey, we didn't see anything else. Let's go with something we know rental uh, with my cousin and I for both of those. Those two games, are hands down, uh, we rented the most often. I'm trying to think if there were any that we rented over and over again that we liked or you know, the only place we rented videos from, I used to live in Southern Virginia before, uh, during the NES era. And so we, we belonged to this little mom and pop video store that had 
uh, as I recall, an amazing horror section that I didn't get to really take advantage of because I would have been in oh, yeah. fourth grade. But I rented a few things. Um, but they had like a, a small wall of NES rentals. And so we would rent Xenophobe all the time. I probably rented Xenophobe a good 10 or 15 times because it was a multiplayer. So me and my brother could play it together. Um, also, I like the idea of it being kind of an Aliens style action game, even though it's not very good. The NES port, at least, was was just okay. And I never wanted to buy it because it wasn't that good. But all the other games they had, either we had them or they were games we didn't want to play. You know, I, I didn't want to get Baseball Stars again. I'd rather get Xenophobe uh, because we wanted to at least rent a game. If you're at the video store, let's get a game for the weekend as well. And they were cheap. I want to say it was like $2 to rent for the weekend. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then I was trying to remember why when I moved here, I didn't rent things for the Super Nintendo or Genesis, and that's because I was a TurboGrafx kid. Good luck finding those to rent anywhere. And so by the time the PlayStation came out, which would have also been a rental, I was old enough to work in a store that sold that stuff, and so I just took it from there. Because uh, you could you could borrow games, quote, to try and sell people. <laughs> uh, so I rented a lot of games from work, but then I would end up just buying the ones I liked. So that's not really the same thing. Uh, yeah, so I guess Xenophobe has to be my answer, only because it's the only game I remember renting multiple times, and I would never have bought it. In fact, I don't own a copy now. I did a lot of Turtles in Time. That was mm. kind of a go-to uh, for most weekends, if nothing was in. Because it was usually me trying to get something that me and my cousin could play. You know, we were always at my grandma's house on the weekend. And so, you know, I tried to get something that, that we could both play. But if it wasn't that, if it was kind of just for me, like I rented Mario Paint a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, I, up until I finally bought it, like a year or two later with my own money. Like, I think I rented that thing like at least a couple of dozen times. It was, it was just kind of my go-to weekday game of, you know, if I got to rent a game on the weekday and nothing was in, I'd go with Mario paint and just sit there and, and draw dumb shit on the screen. And I, I loved it. But I mean, there's a lot of different things. Like I, I rented Axel a lot. And um, a lot of the games that we've covered on this podcast, uh, I'd, tended to rent a lot rolling thunder 2 on the genesis was was a really big one uh that was just an awesome co-op action game i still love it to this day um just a lot of, i rented a lot of games like that was my way of playing games you know i didn't i really didn't get to buy anything it was always renting so uh yeah i was i was lucky enough to to live right next to a, a really nice video store it wasn't a blockbuster um it was a place called vh1 video and they they tended to get some pretty good games in. You know, they weren't as fast as as a blockbuster getting the new games in, and they didn't get as many. So the selection wasn't always there. But I I never felt like I was you know stuck with a, a shitty video store. There was always at least something for me to rent and and re rent. And uh, yeah, thanks for writing in Ronnie's nuts. And speaking of blockbuster, next question comes in from Blockbuster, and they're writing to. <laughs> The writing to say, Dear Mr. Holiday, oh. Mr. Holiday, we have reason to believe that you are in possession of a certain copy of Super Black Bass. <laughs> we have reason to believe that this is our property. Please get into contact mm. with us and submit your credit card information to either purchase this game from us or alternatively pay your late fees, which have now amounted to a considerable sum. Please do not ignore this notice or we will be forced to take action, i.e. send the boys, Kind regards, Blockbuster. P.S. Give me my fucking game back. Man, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, God, I know where that copy of Super Black Bass is. I, I don't personally have it, but I know who is in possession of it. Um, 
I will not submit any information for that. I was not the one that rented it. And uh, my 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 dear uncle that rented that game, he is much like Blockbuster themselves, no longer with us. So I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Um, get it out your ass. Uh, you're not going to get it here. Uh, that, that copy of Super Black Bass will stay in a secured location uh, for as long as I have any input over it. You think he's going to get buried with it? Like that's his goal is to <laughs> to keep this cart until he uh, eventually <laughs> spends the rest of eternity with it. Just just late fees mounting up. I would. I've always been intrigued how much the late fees would have been. I you know because Blockbuster did that thing where they're like, oh, well, no more late fees. But surely that had a limit, right? Like even the, the no late fee things had to had to only go so far. We're talking about months. Which you know, turn into years. I mean, we're we're going on what year fucking thirty of that probably. Thirty years of late fees. That's that's it's a hard one to wrap your head around. Billy, is this the same uncle that that writes those incredible Facebook posts? No, this is his brother. Oh is, god um, damn it! Yeah, I, I'm I'm blessed with this family. Um, <laughs> yes, I have uncles. That's, Threaten uh, probably mid-teenage blockbuster employees over fishing video games. And I have uncles that go on drunken tirades, uh, threatening other other neighbors in their their trailer park. I, I we got it all. Now, which which uncle's better though? The uncles that do that, or the uncle that talks to you about the pornography they have? Which which one do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a good fighting uncle every any day. You know, I, I like a good fighting uncle over, a, you know, a sleazy uncle. What's what is it with uncles? Like they they just they're the worst anymore. <laughs> like as I, I get know. older, it seems like they just get worse and worse. Are any of us uncles? I, I mean, I am, but I also have brothers, so Ooh. they're uncles, and that makes sense. That all that all falls into place. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, but yeah, thanks for writing a blockbuster. Uh, mm. We know which one you are. There's only yeah. one left. I Fucking watched the documentary. Uh, you got a long way to go to, to come get that black bass game. And we got one more question. We're going to close it out here with Crystal Lake Management. And they're writing in to say, it's your favorite fake Canadian. Mm. Hey, guys, I'd like to say I'm enjoying the bonus shows and the Discord. Yeah, I should probably actually mention the Discord. We have a Discord. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. If you want to get on there and talk, right. some, talk some junk and... Talk to a bunch of other people that like old games. Check us out. Uh, go to Retrovania.net. There is a link there with our other crap. Uh, just hit that Discord button, and it should open Discord if you have it open or have it installed. Anyway, back to the question. I hope Billy has finally given up his war on Pac-Man, and Jeremy P. gets help for his Monster Hunter addiction. No, it didn't. Mm. It never happened. No. I have a question for the only sane member of the podcast, which is Jeremy G. What oh, is boy. the most... What is the most disappointing game you bought from your local import store, and which one was a delightful surprise? For the two clearly mental hosts, Jeremy P., if you were to remake an Intellivision or Tibber Graphics game for a modern system, what would it be and why? And Billy, if you were to make a sequel to Mansion of the Hidden Souls, what would it look like and what would the subtitle be? Cheers to another year of your beautiful podcast of absolute madness. Hear from you sometimes in... Here, I'll hear from you sometimes in March, I presume. Your madman in the wings, Brian Adams. 
I love his music, by the way. Um, fucking phenomenal. Uh, uh, God, I- I'll let the only sane member of this podcast go first. Oh, well, from my import store, that was... Uh, I'm surprised they actually, I don't think I've mentioned that store in forever on here. But uh, yeah, there was a brief moment in time in the PlayStation days where I'd actually go to this little import store and uh, buy some Japanese games that I had no idea if it was going to be good or bad or if I could even play them. And it was just a kind of a toss-up sometimes. But uh, the one I really just hated was Fighters Mega Mix. Like, I got that uh, just randomly one day, and I couldn't stand it. I hated that game. I, I just, to this day, I just do not like that game. I think it's a terrible fighting game. I think, you know, it can be stupid fun. You can play with a Daytona car, for Christ's sake. But as far as just a, an actual fighting game, it's just a weird mishmash of Virtual Fighter and, uh, God, that other game, I, fighting game, I can't remember its its name. Fighting Vipers? What was there? Fighting Vipers. Yes. There you go. Uh, that those two together just don't really make a good fighting game. It's you know it's you'd, you'd rather just play, either be playing Fighting Vipers or Virtual Fighter, and it it, it just doesn't work. I, I didn't care for it at all. And the other, I, I also bought uh, the original Shinmu for it uh, for the Dreamcast. Could not understand shit. <laughs> <laughs> didn't understand what the hell I was doing. That game is so Japanese, it's impossible to play. Um, but I did enjoy running around that town and playing Outrun. Um, I can't imagine not understanding that anything in that game and trying to play it. Because even when you can't understand it, there's parts where you're like, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to do. That first Shenmue is, is I, I love those games, but the first one, going back to play it to get ready for Shenmue 3, was there were parts where I was like, what am I supposed to do here? So not knowing any of what anybody's saying must have been <laughs> the most frustrating game <laughs> ever played. It, it was a trying experience, and it didn't help that, you know, the the owner, his name is Jin, he was like, it's perfectly playable, it's fine. And so I threw my 80 bucks down, and home I went to, <laughs> mm. to stare at Japanese text <laughs> and not know what the hell to even do. Um, that was one of those games that I lived on GameFAQs for, and mm. thank God GameFAX was around back then because that and yeah. Sonic Adventure, which was another game I got Jesus. from the import store, was um, a whole lot of Japanese text. At least Sonic you could play through. I could play through that. A, a pleasant surprise, if you will, I, I guess would be another fighting game. I got Psychic Force for the Dreamcast. And th- that was a fun little fighting game. I, I got it on clearance for like 30, 40 bucks because nobody wanted a game called Psychic Force. And... I think I was the only person in Indiana buying import Dreamcast games at the time, but it was it was a fun little fighting game. I it's you know you're flying around a a cube in the air basically, and you can shoot magic powers and and fireballs at each other. It was it's pretty cool. It's nothing that I would really suggest anyone go play, but it, it was fun back in the day for what it was. Uh, but yeah, that was mostly my experience with with my import gaming store. Ah, oh, on to, I guess on to my portion. Man, I mentioned a Hidden Souls sequel. I mean, it's tough because it's it, you get to that whole thing of how do you approve, how do you improve upon perfection? Uh, I, I, the only clear answer is just you know pretty much make the first game again, but just make the house bigger <laughs> so the game takes longer. Maybe make the music loops more than four or five seconds. I'll I'll say that 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 
may or may not have gotten old here or there. Just more. Just just more of it. A bigger fucking house. Uh, more mansion. More hidden souls. More everything that already makes that game so tremendous. Don't change the quality of the voice acting. Leave it as it is. I, it has a lot of charm to it. Uh, there's Oh, add fishing to it also. Like have a little pond around back, fully stocked. Uh, and one of those that once you empty it out, if you leave the area and come back, it's fully stocked again. Uh, I, I think just take Mansion of Hidden Souls, make it a little bigger, and add fishing. And I think you've you've got a hell of a sequel on your hands. In terms of titles, I man, I don't know. It's it just fucking damn. I go back to the, the movie House 2, uh, the cheesy-ass horror film. I, I think you would have to go Mansion of Hidden Souls, the second story. It's most likely what you'd have to do. I can't come up with a fishing pun that works for this quickly enough. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping Jeremy P is thinking on it real hard right now so he can chime in, or else we may not have one. But I, it doesn't need a fancy title. I, I think the gaming world would get excited enough just knowing A Mansion of Hidden Souls 2 is coming out, and it has fishing. I don't think you need a flashy title. I don't think you need anything clever. I, I think that would just sell itself right there on the spot. Well, the fan of the original game would be thrilled, so you're not wrong there. If they just call it it's Mansion of Souls 2, you'd be the number one in line there to get it. Yeah. Um, you know, going on the same idea of how do you improve on perfection, I wouldn't want to change any Turbo Graphics games. But the in television, there are a handful that you you definitely would could could see some neat upgrades. Um, you know, I, as much as I make fun of and or uh, have brought up the Amico uh, not actually ever existing as, as something that is is funny and kind of a you know do some research and it's it's kind of sad at the same time. But when they put out the original like. Here's what we're going to do. They basically took like a handful of classic and television games and remade them so they look, you know, like Geometry Wars or, or that more kind of, you know, mm -hmm. vectory, you know, flashy retro look. I, I love that when games do that. I'm a big fan. And so the one game I wanted that I would redo was one of the ones they mentioned, which is the original Dungeons & Dragons game that they call Cloudy Mountain on, on most compilations now because they don't have the license anymore. It is one of the few in television games. And I say this as a fan of the Intellivision. One of the few Intellivision games that you can release for pretty much any system. You don't need that control pad, and it still holds up really well as a game on its own. I actually enjoy playing it now. Um, it is it is a fast enough game, but still has a little more to it than just a straight-up Space Invaders clone or, you know, a, a very simple Asteroid-style game. A lot of those Intellivision games are just their versions of, of what other arcade properties were. And then they have some pretty good ports and, and some interesting games that tried to do a lot that ended up being you know a little a little iffy they have a game called utopia that's really neat it's a it's almost like a an early populist or kind of resource management combat game i don't know it, it's good but it it does not hold up incredibly well you need to really do some research the original dungeon and dragons game still plays really well is a neat game, and they when they had the redesign they were going to do for the Amico, it was going to be multiplayer, and the maps were larger, and you could work as a team. Like that would all be really cool stuff. So I would want to remake specifically the first Dungeons and Dragons Cloudy Mountain game. That's the one I would redo. Uh, the second game, while it's while it's uh, Treasure of Tarman, is also very neat and does a lot. Uh, there are many better first person dungeon adventure games than what Treasure of Tarman did, but that top down mountain exploration game that was the first Dungeons and Dragons game is excellent and I would love to see it on a new console with some uh some multiplayer and some some 
some some cost of life improvements, but I wouldn't go crazy with it. I don't want mm-hmm. them to to add other than fishing, anything else to the mechanics. I just want it refined. Yeah, I think those are our answers. And I think that's it for this week. So thanks for writing in, everybody. You guys keep us going. You keep us getting out of bed in the morning, especially Jeremy mm. Trumpeteer. So <laughs> keep writing in. Keep going to Retrovania.net, scrolling all the way to the bottom, filling out that contact form, and clicking that send button as hard as you can. Just jam on it. Mm. Punch the mouse until the mouse explodes. It'll get here quicker. I think that's how the internet works. Mm-hmm. But that's going to do it for us, or at least me, for this episode. <laughs> I'll see you next time. And yeah, we'll have uh, we we'll be back next month with two new episodes. I believe both of them will be patron picks. But also, if you like this show and we're like, man, I wish there were more episodes. There are. Join our Patreon for the mid tier, the Super Retrovaniac. You get access to three bonus shows a month that are not on this feed, that will never be on this feed, uh, that are more just the meat and potatoes of each game without the questions, without the what you've been playing, just solid half an hour, 45 minutes of talking about a game. Uh, this month so far, we've talked about, and I'll put the news of the game because I just drew a total blank because I'm staring off in mm-hmm. space. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, earlier this month, we already covered Cool Spot, and, uh, and we have two other games coming. So again, if you want to hear about other games that are not the ones we're talking about now, but but thought, man, I wish these guys covered it. Perhaps we did. Join our Patreon. Otherwise, we'll see you next month with two new episodes. See you then. Doot doot.